0: What's an educated mama? Hello, I'm Ryan Jordan and welcome to the Educated Mama. During this podcast, we will learn from experts, entrepreneurs, creators, and leaders who are also mothers responsible for all the things. Let's celebrate women, learn a few mom hacks, and discuss the beautiful mess of motherhood. We're all learning together, right? Today's guest is Jenny Nuccio. Jenny is the founder and CEO of Imani Collective, a nonprofit women empowerment program focused on defeating generational poverty through education and employment opportunities in Mombasa, Kenya and surrounding communities. Most days you can find Jenny laughing with her kiddos, wandering the streets of Mombasa, or simply enjoying a great cup of Kenyan coffee. She loves serving the world by spreading love, hope and inspiration. Let's meet our guest. Hi Jenny, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, how are you? I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for being here. I'm curious where in the world is Jenny right now?
1: Yes, I am currently in Alaska. Last time we talked, I think I was in Texas and I normally am in Kenya. So my family, were all over the place this year.
0: Incredible. And that's what I would love to start our conversation off with. Um, The last time we had a discussion, you know, you and I met through a mastermind group called Shine, and we talked about TCKs, third culture kids. So can you tell me a little bit more about what that means and what that experience has been like for your family?
1: Yeah. So I was not raised as a TCK, but my kids are being raised that. And what that means is it's basically their citizenship, where they are from is different from where they're being brought up. And so to my kids, I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a one-year-old Kenya is home to them. And so as we're traveling, they even ask when they're going to go home, um, you know, and they're experienced third, just a third culture. And so it also into adulthood, it will be interesting to just see how they perceive the world, how they've been involved, um, with just so much global knowledge at such a young age. So it just, These kids are raised, my kids and many other TCKs are just raised with a greater knowledge of what's happening around the world. And they don't realize how beautiful that is, um, until they get older, but they do struggle with being misunderstood, which I feel like I struggle a lot with too, because I've lived in Kenya for a third of my life. But, um, so hopefully they will value (laughs) their upbringing.
0: That's incredible. What an awesome opportunity for your children just to be global citizens and to experience that life. And Jenny, I'm curious if you don't mind me asking, did you give birth to all three children in Mombasa, Kenya?
1: I gave birth to my first and my third, and then my middle is uh, born in Alaska. So it was funny when we landed here in Alaska, She's like, I'm Alaskan. I was born here. (laughs) Like she knows, but she knows Kenya's home, but she knows she was different that she was born here. But two, yes, I gave birth to two of mine in Mombasa.
0: And if you could wrap it up kind of in a nutshell, I can imagine that giving birth in a different country than the United States, um, is just different, you know? So I, mm. I would love to know what are the biggest differences, um, since you've given birth in two different places, two different countries.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest difference is the simplicity. Um, I think, you know, doctors are knowledgeable all over the world, even in third culture contexts. So I think there can be a fear wrapped around that for people who are coming into a country that's unknown to them. Um, but they, they know what they're doing, you know, um, it's just, yeah, it's a lot more simple. I I always say, if I would have had my first in the States and then went to Kenya, I probably would have been freaking out. Um, but because I had my first there and had no idea what to expect. When I went to the States, I was like, why are you wrapping all these things around me? And like, why are you touching me and why can't I walk? I don't know. It was just, there was so much, you know, they're monitoring and doing what they're supposed to be doing, but in Kenya that's not there. And so it was an interesting experience for my husband too. Cause he's like, oh, I actually got to know when you were having contractions and I saw it on the monitor when before in Kenya, he would just, you know, he's just waiting expectantly. So, um, it's just a lot, it's simpler, simpler. Um, tools, and practices. Mm.
0: Well, let's talk about your, um, I guess, your purpose, your passion, your vision, your whole being right now. A lot of it is with your company, Imani Collective. Can you tell me a little bit how you founded Imani Collective and what this experience has been for you?
1: Yeah, I think part of my biggest, I, I think part of my biggest story. And like what I tell people a lot is to just, I have just put one foot in front of the other and just really listen to, okay, that's still small voice and what's next in my life. And, um, in 2009, I went to Kenya and I helped with a nonprofit organization. I was just helping develop their child sponsorship program, um, did a mission trip there and just focused on really the kids in the education program. And I didn't think I was ever going to go back. So I love when people know when they're like supposed to serve overseas or they're supposed to start something. But for me, it was this really like pull to get there because I was developing what I loved. Um, I was finishing school and just kind of in a sweet spot in the States as I was every year going back to Kenya, which again, my first trip, I said, I'm never coming back. This was a great trip. Um, I felt that, um, yeah, I just didn't know. I wanted to make sure that my hands and feet were used appropriately and, um, that I was needed, um, and versus me, you know, coming in and, um, thinking I am needed, if that makes sense, that perspective. And so every year, as I was developing these relationships with these kids, I was also developing relationships with the community of this village. And, uh, I started to see the gaps, um, with the women and the communication and their value of education and also not understanding, just not being able to put their kids in school and not understanding again, why their kids needed to be in school. So I knew that there was this big communication barrier there, but I also just, kept asking, well, what about the women? Okay. We're here for the kids, but what about this gap and why aren't we educating them or why are not we empowering them? And that's where my heart just started to fall. And that's where our program developed. It just started as a training program of wanting to train my friends, and um, a skill and give them a skill. So these women had, I developed a really sweet friendship with these women over that four years. Uh, and then, yeah, it is developed into a larger brand than I ever could have imagined. Um, because I continue to ask, to ask the questions of why, where's the sustainability, how can we mine these gaps? Um, and so it developed into a a leading ethical brand as it is now today. Um, but it just started simply as answering a call of wanting to empower my friends and start a training program
0: hmm isn't that what they say when you start a business like find a problem find a reason find a why and the rest kind of falls into place we yeah, all yeah. know behind the scenes so it's a lot of hard work for that to fall into place um and I know there's a lot of different um organizations right now that kind of talk about being ethical sustainable so tell me what does that mean to you Jenny ethical and social you know sustainability on entrepreneurship tell me a little bit more
1: Mm, those are all hot terms, aren't they? Um, so in the beginning of this year, I actually started the School of Ethical Impact for this reason. There's a lot of social entrepreneurs wondering, how do I do this and how do I make it sustainable? Sustainability is, okay, how are you minding the gap and creating long-term impact? One thing that I always don't like seeing is when people go into communities and they hurt communities rather than help communities because they're not thinking of the follow-up. They're not thinking of long-term. They're just thinking of that one-time solution. And we got to think past that. We got to think, how are we sustainable? sustaining. sustaining our impact. That's more than donations, but it's, you know, looking at diversifying your revenue and bringing in um, other other means of, yeah, revenue and profit. And that comes from a social enterprise model, which a lot of people are viewing that and defining that. But for me, ethical impact really is, is looking at how are we empowering communities in a positive way? And how are we looking at solutions that are helping them in the need that they, that they want to identify with. So I always say it's about radically listening that we shouldn't go into a community and think we know what they want before we start asking those questions. We need to sit and we need to listen and understand. It's just simply like a business thing. It's a supplier demand. You can't supply something if the demand of that is not there. So you might have an amazing program that you want to implement in a community, but if they don't want that, Then there's not like it's not going to be successful. So start listening to the community, and I also always challenge people to look at the word impact because in social impact and ethical impact and social enterprises and sustainability and all of it, we think and we perceive impact as positive, but in fact, impact can have a negative. It can have a negative. It, It can be negative, and so we have to ask the questions. How are we creating that positive impact? And are we assuming things versus are we asking? And so that's my big challenge to people is like, again, diversifying your revenue, look at how you can create sustainable tracks um, for your impacts, but then also make sure it's being positive and long term.
0: Love that advice. I think that's so great. Cause I think people, even when thinking about developing real estate or different pockets of communities, Mm -hmm. they come in and say, oh, we're going to build all these nice things. And then, you're pushing out the people who can actually afford this neighborhood, have their roots there, and really love this community of people. So it's very interesting that you say that because it is your intention and impact can be two very different things. Correct. So I appreciate you bringing that point up. And then I looked at you know your website, and I, I'm like I feel so empowered by all the things that you're doing, and you've created this community. But what does holistic empowerment mean? as well to you? Yeah. Uh,
1: It's one thing to empower and create dignified work. Uh, I think that's what we're doing. There's a lot of different avenues to do that and fair trade and just again, social enterprise work. Um, But to me, that's just a transaction and we have to look bigger than that. We have to look at the holistic side of everything. And so I say it's a wraparound approach that you're not just giving this one time transaction in the artisan world, right? You're not just paying for that product and partnering with them one time. You're looking at their whole well being like what is happening with their family? How can you? Come, come alongside with them in literacy and education and meals and um and you don't have to be a full-blown program like we are. So we have holistic programs in in what you're referring to, right? We have holistic programs that we provide chai and we provide meals and we provide free childcare and we have literacy classes and computer literacy classes and financial <laughs> literacy classes. Like we want our woman to completely transform and we want her when she gets that dignified work and she gets that Sustainable income because we don't pay piecework, we don't pay per order, we actually pay monthly consistent salaries. So, we know that our women can always plan on that, they always know what's coming in, which means that they can start being financially responsible and planning for the future of their kids as well. And so, you don't have to be what we are, you don't have to be on the ground um, and have that full blown program. But if you are connecting and you're partnering with a program or cooperative. I challenge you to ask those questions, like to ask those questions of how can I just not just place an order, but how can I also make sure that I'm asking the hard questions of what they're doing. And I'm understanding that my impact by supporting this program is what I want it to be. And is holistic and it's holistic in my values and it's holistic for that, that That family. And so it's really looking at the whole well being and the transformation. So I always compare it from transaction versus transformation. It's not a one time, but it's okay, how are we walking alongside again in a sustainable manner?
0: Mm. Now, when you came into this community, did you feel welcomed with open arms because you basically created an organization filled with all of your friends? Or what would you say were some of the biggest challenges by starting this organization in Mombasa?
1: Yeah. I think, um, I have a really unique story because it did start with friends. Um, but I also, it's funny. I think stuff just landed in my lap and I'm like, super (laughs) like, wow, this is really cool. When I look back, I was like, that's what I did. That's what I did. And I didn't realize what I was doing. But before I even started the program the year before I sat down with the chief of the village and the men of the village and asked, what do you want your women to work? Like, where I'm thinking of bringing this program, would you allow them to, to even be trained just to come in and again, listen to their community and out of respect, honor what they're already, their cultural tendencies. Um, am I all about like being a disruptor and women empowerment? Absolutely. But there's also a side of like respecting what's there. And if you don't have buy-in from the whole community, also meaning men, it's also, it's going to be a harder road. And so those men were, had open arms and they were like, yes, we want our women to, to be able to have this opportunity. And so I was really blessed in that manner of like, they were already like accepting towards that. I would say the biggest challenge would be me learning to slow down, um, and understand that like completely scratched my timeline basically because <laughs> when I got there, I was like, okay, we're going and we're going to create this product and we're going to do this and they're going to learn this. It's going to be awesome. Like I'm going to do this in six months. And my first class, I realized, oh yeah, like over half of my women, have never been in a classroom. So they don't know their numbers. They don't know how to write. They can't read a measuring tape it like blew my mind that i didn't even think of the rudimentary thing like i didn't even think of that so we like pushed the sewing machines aside and we just started teaching numbers and how they how they can write and that's why it is so important to me when you like turn our product around and you see who signed it because i know how long it took it's not just knowing the artisan but it's like i know how long it took that woman to learn how to write her name at the age of 32 you know like that it's like a bigger thing of like, no matter, because what they, when they came into my program, they're like, they were doubt, they were doubting themselves. They lacked self-confidence. Um, and they're like, I'm not a, like, I can't step foot in a classroom at the age of 30. And I said, why not? You know, like they just automatically thought it wasn't an option for them. And so what's been beautiful from those original 16 women, which they're all still with us now, eight years later, is it's like seeing the transformation of their confidence, how it overflows into their kids, how their kids have just been raised differently and then how that's changing their whole community, you know? So, um, the biggest thing was the challenge with myself of fighting timelines and realizing those timelines aren't important. We're going to grow, um, in the speed that we need to, to, to grow in. And that, that means slowing down. That means listening more. That means enjoying some more chai and just being chill, you know? So I had to learn how to like value the relationship over the task and like really, um, immerse myself in the community in that way
0: that's incredible. And Jenny, did you build this yourself? Did you have festers that helped you create this? because if you look at your team now, there's what twenty people on your team, or were you just like, this is you know, ground up. here I am. I'm teaching this, and here we go. and then you uh, gradually built your team or how did that start?
1: Yeah, that's a funny question. Um no, I sold everything. So that's how it started. It started with me and the the money I had from all my things. And yeah. <laughs> So, um, and then we, you know, I, I'm a risk taker by nature. So I take pretty big leaps and pretty, rip, pretty big risks, but I had a million nos before I finally got a yes. I would say our first investment. Yeah. Our first investment we ever got was last year. Um, from some friends. And then we actually got kind of a real investor group this year, um, to actually help with our scaling, but we've bootstrapped this whole thing and grew in a way. A lot of it just came out of pocket. A lot of it, you know, missed paychecks and things like that as you grow your brand. Um, but yeah, I've just been, it's been a journey, <laughs> it's been a journey, but, um, I'm glad I stuck it out. Cause there are many moments where I'm like, Mm, mm. I almost shut it down, but I think it's just remembering the faces of my women in the beginning of just how proud they were when they made their first product, even though it was crooked and not straight, but they were just so proud. And I always go back to those moments back in 2013 of our roots of that hope that they just like had in their eyes of like where they, where they were about to like launch into, um, and so, yeah, it started with me, just me, only me. <laughs> and then now we've grown into an amazing team. I'm so proud of our team, both in the States and our, our Kenyan leadership that has just like flourished. So it's been really cool to develop leaders. It's it's
0: such a beautiful story and what you've built and how you say like generational poverty you now have mothers who are role models to their children and the children can rise up with them and then maybe they can do this or go on to something else or now the moms can teach their kids how to write i mean when you're teaching your children those things that must feel like so great for all of those women and when you said when they you remember when they learn to sign their name at 32 years old. Things that we take for granted that we just learn right away in preschool, and kindergarten, you know, things that are, you know, we're surrounded by so much um, privilege, right? That we don't think about daily. Tell me about the school system there. You know, obviously we have school systems in the United States. And what is the biggest difference? Do your children learn multiple languages? Are they in one classroom? Are How many children go to class? You know, I'm curious to know, like, what is a day in the life for your three kids? Yeah. So my kids
1: are just now starting, like, jumping into school. And so what's beautiful is they're in, like, very, you know it's just a melting pot of cultures, which I love. Um, and they've been raised learning Swahili and English side by side. So they, they're really good and actually respond, discipline, respond better when I speak Swahili to them than I do in English. Like, I don't know. It's just maybe it's not a harsher language. They just like, I don't know when I, they will come when I say Kuja, if I say come, they won't come. And I'm like, come on kids. Like, listen to me. Um, So they respond better in Swahili, but, um, normally for my kids, um, you know, they, they'll be, yeah, always learning several languages and then it will, it will just be interesting. Uh, they'll have to go to a private school just because the Kenyan system doesn't align with the United States, but even in the Kenyan system and, in our women's kids and, and also our boys, cause my husband has a whole, I'm a mom to like 40 street boys. That's a whole nother story, whole nother podcast. But, um, our boys, they like most elementary school and middle school is free, but once you get to high school, you have to pay for high school. And that's where a lot of people you'll, a lot of people just getting to grade eight. So is really like a big accomplishment. Cause once you get there, then you can get into trade schools and other things like that. So Um, yeah, so it's, we always say school is not necessarily also, you know, we're privileged to have a really like, like a free school system. Um, if that's the route, you know, you want to take as a parent. Um, but a lot of people don't even have that in Kenya just because they can't afford it is free until eighth grade, but you still have to pay for books and, you know, your uniforms and all of that. And that, that can be a lot for, um, someone to, to manage and be responsible for So for us, it's really exciting that we get to see our women being able to do that because they have consistent pay. Um, when before that wasn't a possibility really, um, with them in and out of jobs. So yeah, that's a little bit of the system, I guess. (laughs)
0: It's amazing. It's amazing to learn so much. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Okay. So let's refocus. If you know your best advice for female founders that you've gone through this process now and you've built this community, you've built teams. Tell me a little bit, you know, how you feel right now. What would be the best advice for female founders?
1: Yeah. I I always say just stay rooted in your why. Like, as you know, and we've talked about it's there's so much, you can see the surface of what we do and you can see the surface, what anybody does. And so stay rooted in your why and don't compare yourself to other people because we're all running our own race. Like, and we all like, there's a lot of mess behind. you know, like you're in the living room a lot of mess in that kitchen. So like a lot's going on back there. So, um, I there, again, there have been so many moments where I just am like, I cannot do this. I am tired. I don't know where the next, you know, how we're going to pay paychecks, how we're going to do this, um, how we're going to move forward. But I think when you can stay rooted in your why, that gives you the passion to continue to storytell. It gives you the passion to continue to get up and move. And it just continues, you know, it just keeps you going, putting one foot in front of the other, because it's not easy when we step foot into entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial journal, journey and we each have our own. And so my encouragement is just, yeah, to root in that and then. Yeah. To not compare yourself, put those blinders on, because I think there was a moment, I would say probably three or four years ago, I would always just get so frustrated of opportunities. I felt like we needed, or we, we should have deserved and we, you know, seeing other people get them, you know, just that, like you're, Envying like what other people are getting. You're like, why not me? Why not now? And to be honest, when I look now and I look back and I'm like, we weren't ready. And now that we're hitting different opportunities now, I'm like, man, we're so ready for this now. And so I think, you know, again, just being content with like still having that fire, but being content that this is your journey. You were here for a reason and just stop, stop looking, stop looking around and just laser focus ahead.
0: I love that advice. Is there anything else you want to share with us today, Jenny?
1: I don't know. I'm just so excited to be here. I I feel like we started hard and I gave you guys some harsh advice about ethical impact, but the beauty is I think each one of us, I always say we can change the world right where we are. So you don't have to move across the world. You don't have to sell everything like I did, but you can just look around you and see how you're one person, but one person can make a big impact. So what are you doing in your business to do that? And I just always want to challenge people to look, look at that. Like, how can you give back in your own community and your family just right where you are? So that would be my last tidbit to the listeners.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think that was such a special message and I can't wait to learn even more about you. So anybody that's tuning in, you want to learn more, you can visit Imani Collective. She has an Instagram account. She's online. There's plenty of story there and it's a really beautiful, beautiful thing that she's built. So thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and you had some great aha moments. I am so passionate about empowering women and I can't thank you enough for your support. If you know an inspiring mama or you are an inspiring mama, send them our way. Be sure to tune in every Wednesday and please like, follow, and subscribe to The Educated Mama. Write a review, leave us a comment, share this podcast with your friends. I'm Ryan Jordan, founder and CEO of Educated Nannies. You got this, mama.